aboard the ship, uh, the Star of the East. And according to the story, as they were uh, trying to catch this gigantic whale, uh, they, they harpooned him, and the, 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 the whale fought back and knocked two sailors off the, the, the boat, and one of them was James Bartley. According to the story, he was swallowed up by the great beast. Miraculously, he, was, he, he avoided the, uh, the, these whales. They have, uh, especially the sperm whales, sperm whales they have seven-inch uh, teeth, um, and, it's about, the, and the, the mouth is about eight feet wide, so or long. So he avoids all that, slides down the esophagus. It's, it's, he describes it as a very soft, weird type of feeling. And he realized four things. One, he was still alive. Two, he, he was, it was extremely hot. Three, there was, there was a, 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 an extremely painful acid going on. And four, he was about to lose consciousness. The next day, the whale was caught. And as the crew was, was skinning it, they saw something in the shape of a man near the abdomen. And they, when they cut it open, they found their lost comrade, James Bartley. When they got him out, he was unconscious, but, but still breathing. They revived him. He awoke. And he would suffer a two-week-long post-traumatic panic attack before, as they say, he went back to normal. Unfortunately, he would never look normal again as the acid dyed his skin, permanently bleaching him. Some accounts describe him as being permanently blind. Some accounts say that he went back to sailing. On his tombstone, it reads, James Bartley, 1870 to 1909, a modern Jonah. His tombstone is also in Ireland. Ireland, the birthplace of Guinness, and the often heard phrase, never let the truth get in the way of a good story. This is the tale of James Bartley. There's been a couple other stories that have been, as I was researching, I was trying to figure out, do people really survive being swallowed up by a whale? And a lot of this research, I, I came up with, I don't know. Because a lot of it is just unsub, unsubstanti, unsubstantiated. Excuse me. How do, and what does this mean for the story of Jonah? Is it real? Are we, meant to be, are we meant to take it literally? And what about this fish? Was it a fish? Was it a whale? Was it what kind of a gigantic, mysterious creature was it really? This conversation and many others like it are conversations that I kind of like. And if you're among those people who really like these conversations, know that I would be up for a cup of coffee anytime. Email me. I'm at tgalley at grace.org. Uh, but I like this stuff. I also hate it. And one of my favorite things that Brian said last week was that there are different ways of understanding this story. And this morning, uh, he revealed that he received a lot of emails asking what Grace Chapel's position on the matter was. And we don't really have a position on it. We encourage you to, have, you know, to research it. We believe the Bible is true and infallible and beautiful and powerful. But there's different options. One is that Jonah is to be taken as a literal historical account. Second is that Jonah is to be taken as a parable, similar to the way that the parables that Jesus often told. And I, for one, appreciate the freedom to kind of dig around and work my way through the story because I find a lot of beauty, and I think we can get a little bit deeper into it when we allow ourselves to do that. I find that's really important with a lot, a, a lot of the gray matters that we find in Scripture. And should I get to heaven and, and ask God, God, what, what, was with, with that, what was up with that Jonah story? And should he say to me, of course it was a literal story. How did you not get it? Oh, oh now, now I get it. Or if, if God were to say to me, of course it was a parable. How did you not get it? Oh, now I get it. 
And of course, if God were to say a third option, I'd say, oh, okay, now I get it. I, I imagine that my theology is going to be corrected quite a bit when I get there. But one of the things that I want to get to tonight is that there is great truth in the story of Jonah. And first, I would like for you to see that Jonah is a lot like you and me. So we have this really two-dimensional idea of Jonah. He's like this moody, scared prophet of God who runs the other way. And I would love for us to move beyond that tonight. He's not some rookie prophet who just finished Hebrew school. He's talented, and he has a promising career ahead of him, and he's passionate, and he's just ready to go, but you know, he just makes bad decisions. Actually, Jonah's been around. He actually knows how powerful God is. He knows how compassionate God is. He knows that before he sets foot on any of these boats, that anything is possible with God. So when God tells him to go to Nineveh and preach, preach the message there, Jonah flips out because he hates, quote-unquote, those people. Who knows why? As we heard last week, we're told that the Ninevites, who are you know, natives of Assyria, or citizens of Assyria, they were violent people, despicable people, awful people, depraved people, and that's putting it politely. In the Hollywood versions that, that I like to make up, I wonder if Jonah had a family that was killed by the Ninevites. Maybe he had cousins killed in battle. Maybe brothers, maybe his parents suffered at the hands of these Ninevites. Whatever it was, Jonah wanted these people to suffer, die, and be tormented forever. He didn't want them to find salvation or redemption. He didn't want God to reach them. And if God was really persistent on that, God was going to have to do that without Jonah's help. Maybe Jonah had his own dreams. Maybe, maybe Jonah wanted to be part of something like this, you know, like Grace Synagogue. You know, maybe he wanted to serve at, at Grace Synagogue at night, teaching classes at the Septuagint Learning Center and having Torah reading circles in the cafe. Maybe. Maybe Jonah had his own dreams and, and, and he wanted to have a career like Elijah. He wanted to do some cool things like, like race chariots and, and fight with the prophets of, 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 ba- of, of Baal and play with holy fire. Maybe he didn't want to be considered a minor prophet for, for, for two millennia. I don't know. One thing is for sure, he did not want to go to Nineveh. So whatever the reason, he takes off for Tarshish, a city obviously completely in the opposite direction of Nineveh. And then here the text says, God sends a great wind and a violent storm arose and everyone on the boat knows that they are going to perish. Then Jonah does something interesting here. He decides that he is going to go down into the boat and go to sleep. And what the text means by that is Jonah is preparing himself to die. And when the sailors try to wake him up, he explains it all to them. He says, I'm the reason for the storm. And if you want to stop the storm, you're going to have to throw me overboard. And they try to talk him out of it, but they realize that he's right. And so they throw him overboard. He probably has one of his, one of his last thoughts. He's thinking to himself, at least these guys are going to live. I mean, if I can encourage you just to forget how the story ends and just kind of sit here for a little bit. Because we go from like a man overboard to just in a couple of verses, a man praying to God. And I just have to imagine that a lot has happened in between that moment. 
So forget how the story ends. Jonah is thrown overboard. He hits the water, and I'm imagining that he thinks to himself, I don't want to die like this. I don't want to die at all. He, he starts to like reconsider his options. He's like, maybe I can stay afloat. Maybe there's like a piece of like dry wood that I can grab onto and like swim back to the boat. But at that moment, he is just like pushed under the water again. He, he starts flailing his arms and kicking and tries to, to see if he can get another big gulp of air. And he, and he and at the same second, he gets submerged again. And he, as he's kicking and, and flailing and trying to get back up, he realizes he is sinking and sinking and sinking. He does not have a chance. The water is too powerful. He is going to die here. He starts sinking, and it gets, it gets a, little, a little bit more still. His, his lungs start filling with, with water, and regret starts pouring into his soul and the realization becomes clearer and clearer in the calmness of the water that he has wasted his life. He starts slipping out of consciousness. Things are getting darker. Is it the water? Is it the, the flicker of life going away? Suddenly, complete darkness. It's over. It's finished. In my mind, I imagine the sound of cheering up above on the water, because the boat that was headed to Tarshish is saved. These sailors are cheering, I thought we were going to die. We are alive, and sailors don't get scared about these storms. We really thought we were going to perish. Thank God we threw over that crazy prophet, and, and whoever this God was, he has saved us. That was probably a pretty incredible moment for them. I imagine as, 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 they, as they sailed away, they had an incredible story of deliverance, and it was pr probably made a lot of sense to them to worship this God. Down below, there's a sound of coughing. And it's not that New England's winter cough, but a deep pneumonia type of cough. It's, it's that deep and desperate cough of trying to vomit water out of your lungs so you can breathe again cough. And that cough is from Jonah. He's alive somehow, and he's breathing again. Imagine in the darkness, his first thought is, so this is death. Black and still, probably intensely hot, with a putrid smell. I wonder how long it takes him to figure out that he's actually still alive, and that he's actually inside some type of a beast of some sort, I mean, I imagine in his mind, it doesn't matter if it's a whale or a fish or a teenage mutant ninja dolphin. Who cares? I'm alive. Now, in the text, you know, we, we go from this man overboard to suddenly he's praying, but I got to imagine a lot has happened since. Now, what about this fish? Man, if there was an animal that I could interview, it would be this one. I mean, like... There's a poor fish just, you know, kind of just, just, just going along and, and, you know, he sees like this human. He's like, oh, you know, may, maybe I'll have that. He doesn't realize that, you know, humans are hairy and crunchy and like don't really taste great or whatever. But God called him to it and, you know, he had to do this for God. I don't know. It'd be an interesting interview. Now, we have many options regarding this, this sea beast, if you will. But I just want to give you three. Option one is that the thing that swallowed Jonah was really a whale. And, and, I, and I, I like this one because I've heard of those things. And it's often speculated that it was a sperm whale because it best fits the description. Uh, and in some translations, like the Septuagint, uses the, the word, the Greek form of whale. 
And this makes sense to me. It's, it's just kind of like Darwinism. You know, like you, you, you see something that looks appetizing, you eat it. I walk through here sometimes and I see some chocolate. And even though there's a sign that says for women's ministries only, if no one's looking around, it's Darwinism, right? <laughs> Option two, it's a fish, a really big one. And the writer, the Hebrew writer, knew it was a fish, and he insisted on using the word fish because there actually is a Hebrew word for the word whale, and he wanted to use the word fish. I don't know. Option three. It was a, it was a specifically created sea creature that God made and sent for that moment alone to save Jonah. And there's this weird part in verse 117. Is this literal or is this metaphorical? But then the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah. Provided. I mean, provided in the same sense that he provides manna for the children of Israel? I don't know. I tend to call this thing whatever I'm in the mood for at whatever particular moment because I don't know. But I'm confident of two things. God can do anything. And two, the scriptures are just so rich and so beautiful. And we ought not to ever confine it or underestimate it. Now, I know I may seem a little cavalier, potentially undermining the validity of Scripture, but that's not my hope at all. My hope actually is quite the opposite. My hope is that I could contribute greater clarity to this story. My hope is to try to get rid of some of the clutter that, that stops us from like really seeing what the real story is about so we can focus on what God really wants us to see. My hope is that we draw closer to God through this because this is a story of repentance, this is a story of deliverance. This is a story of confession. And in, in these ways, this story is true, it's powerful, and it holds great meaning for us. So we get to the text. I read 117 to you. It says, Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, and he said, in my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, and the currents swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me, and I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again towards your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. The roots of the mountain I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you, Lord, my God, brought my life up from the pit. And when my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord. And my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to the worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But I with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good, and I will say, salvation comes from the Lord. And then the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah out onto dry land. It's chapter 2. As one who loves the scriptures and wants to be a student of scripture, and as one who wants to say, wow, what an amazing scripture, I got to say this is a little peculiar on, on a number of levels we realize that this prayer is actually a psalm of thanksgiving. Which is odd, because he's still inside the whale. I mean, you've been swallowed up by a whale. You might want to begin and end this prayer with, help God get me out of here. Right? That's, that's what I would do. That's what probably what most of us would do. 
And then we notice that parts of this prayer are incorrect in, in comparison to chapter 1. In verse 3, he says that God has hurled him into the waters. But God didn't hurl him into the waters. The sailors did with Jonah's instruction. What's wrong with this guy? He doesn't get anything right. Now, this is a prayer of confession. It is a prayer of repentance. And it is a prayer of praise for deliverance. You know, in verse 2, he talks about being in, 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 in the, uh, from inside, uh, sorry, in verse 2 it says, In my distress, I called to the Lord from deep in the realm of the dead, I cried for help. He's talking about being in the abode of the place of the dead. Within the confines of death, somehow he is alive. And when he talks about being deep in the realm of the dead, and you turned and heard my death, uh, my, 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 my death, it hurled me into the depths, he knows it's just a matter of moments before he meets his demise. I was dead, dying, literally, metaphorically, or, or literally, it doesn't matter. I, I'm just about out of time. And then in verse 4, 5, and, 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 and half of 6, it describes Jonah's isolation from God. God cannot be found. And there's a turning point of the passage in, in, at the bottom of verse 6. But you, Lord my God, you brought me out from the pit. Jonah calls on a name and the Lord rescues him. Then there's this weird part in verse 8. He preaches against those who cling to worthless idols and turn away from God's love for them. Likely he's talking about himself. Those who cling to worthless idols. The things that, that they won't let go of. Their own agenda, their own dreams maybe. The things that they won't do and the things that they will do. He repents of that and he says, But with shouts of grateful praise, I sacrifice them to you. What I have vowed to you, I will make good. Salvation comes from the Lord. I'm yours, God. I'm yours. You, God, the destroyer and the deliverer of life. I am yours. Now we're getting somewhere. One of the things I want us to see tonight is that Jonah doesn't need to get out of the fish. There's actually something much more important. Where Jonah really needs to really go is not to Nineveh, but to a restored relationship with his God. This story is about discovering the life after you've lost it. This story is about discovering your life after you've lost it. And it's an often told story. It's an often quoted story on many levels. In Herman Melville's Moby Dick, Father Mapple, the preacher at the Whaleman's Chapel in New Bedford, Massachusetts, names willful disobedience as Jonah's sin. He observes that, that God more often commands and seeks to persuade because what the deity wants of us is too hard for us. And so if we obey God, we must disobey ourselves. And it's in disobeying ourselves, that's where we find the ability to obey God. Today in modern, modern Judaism, the story of Jonah is often read at, is read at every Yom Kippur, which is the Day of Atonement. Why? Because it's a story of deliverance. It's a story of salvation. The story of Jonah also comes up in the New Testament. Do you remember in Mark chapter 4, there's a big storm and, and, and Jesus is sleeping in the boat and the, and the disciples are just flipping out and they, and they, and they, they go to him and he's sleeping on the cushion it describes and, and, they're, and they're like, Jesus, wake up, don't you care if we die? And he gets up and he says what? He says to the waves, quiet, be still. And at that moment the wind died down and then he turns to his disciples and he says, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? 
when the gospel writers like Mark and Luke, when they wrote this, the original audience would have identified that the storms of the water were equated with death. And so when Jesus tells the storm to calm down, he is saying to death, calm down. It is a foreshadow for things to come. Later, Jesus actually quotes Jonah in, in, in the story of Ma- in chapter Matthew, t- in Matthew chapter 12, when he's confronted by the Pharisees. And they say, we want a sign. Prove to us that you are the Son of God. And he tells them, I'll give you a sign. To paraphrase. Just like Jonah was in the belly of the whale, the Son of Man will be in the belly of the earth. And then he goes on to talk about how Jonah goes to preach in Nineveh. Now the Pharisees would understand the metaphor of death quite readily, but they would get confused at one point and they would turn to each other and they say, it's kind of weird because Jonah actually gets out of there alive. Does this guy actually think that he's going to get out of the belly of the earth alive? Man, this story works on so many levels. I mean, to the Pharisees, they just thought of Jesus being the Christ who was like going to Nineveh for them. I don't want to go there. This guy can't be the Christ. Jesus is saying, to put it differently, just like Jonah found his life and lost and found his life, Not only will I do the same, but so will those who follow me. Because God is a God of life. God is a God of forgiveness. God is a God of redemption and of salvation and a God of love. Now the resurrection story. Now that's something I take literally. That's something that I'll fight for. I mean, can you see the difference? I mean, one one story, the entire New Testament hinges on on, on its historicity, right? the historicity of the resurrection as an actual event. Disciples and followers have been persecuted and martyred for their, over the, the resurrection. Paul even writes in 1 Corinthians 15, if Christ has not been raised from the dead, then our faith is in vain. That's totally different than the story of Jonah. It's a complicated story. I mean, I've tried to wrap my head around this a few times, and, and it, it's frustrating on a number of levels. I mean, all week I was trying to find a, a modern-day analogy or version to this, uh, of, 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 of the story of Jonah. And as you can probably guess from my title, the best I can come up with is the story of Batman. Now, you, you, you might think it's because I just saw like, Christian Bale in, in, a, in a movie or something like that, but um, it's actually because we took the kids to see the Lego movie just the other day. Um, has anyone seen the Lego movie? Yeah. There's like two things I can't get out of my head. The Everything is Awesome song. Everything is awesome. Yeah, sorry, I just got that in your head. And then there's like Lego Batman's voice. You know, like he just, he just uses that, 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 that Batman voice. It's, it's just like, you know, it's unnecessary. It's low and angry. And it's just a gravelly voice. And you have to say it with a frown. Say it to the person next to you. This is my Batman voice. Please, <laughs> indulge yourselves. Please, I, I have to hear it. Please. Oh, that was weak, guys. That was really weak. <laughs> you know you want to. It's okay. It's a safe place. Man. Sorry. Uh, you know, I'm just going to give the bad joke. It's not who I am underneath, but my voice that defines me. Anyone? Batman Begins? No? All right. All right. Two of you. Good. Batman Begins. Modern day Jonah. Bruce Wayne, a man destined to bring justice to the city of Gotham, decides to flee in the opposite direction, abandoning the people that need him, the people that took something extremely precious from him, his parents. 
on the other side of the world, he finds himself in prison, in the belly of the underworld. It's here that he rediscovers the importance of life and justice and returns back to his city to do what he was supposed to do. Now, there's no whale, but there's something going on there, right? There's a moment of realization that he can't just let the people who are relying on him suffer, that he has a calling that he has to fulfill. Jonah, in some sense, is the prophet that Nineveh needs, right? I mean, he gets to Nineveh, and in a few weeks, Jonah, the whole, Jonah sees the whole city repent. Man, I would have loved to have heard those stories. And Jonah, uh, those sermons, I would love to have heard those sermons. And Jonah is a complicated person, because even after he has witnessed this, he is still angry. He's had this incredible turning point of being spit out by this whale and has yielded and surrendered his life to God. But those people, I I, I still resent them. I'm not sure I really want them to repent. God, I was kind of doing this more for you than I was for them. And the story is is rich, and and it's going to be really interesting to see in the next next coming weeks how we deal with that story. But tonight it seems necessary to ask ourselves, What is your Nineveh? What is my Nineveh? What is your Nineveh? What are the places and where are the places that you don't want to go? What are the things that that you don't want to let go of? What are the idols that you just can't give up? If you're like me, you know, deep down inside, there have been several. Maybe it's an issue of forgiveness. Maybe it's a root issue that is eating you apart from within. Maybe it's the inability to trust others and therefore this loneliness does not allow you to experience community. Nineveh isn't a bad thing. It's just the thing that you're not ready for that God wants to stretch you and and give to you and show you. One of my Ninevehs was the church, or at least parts of the church. I, I wanted to only be part of the church that I could control and the part of the church that was good to me And I wanted the rest of the church, the church that was hurting me, the church that I was embarrassed by, the church that I was angry with, that part, I just, I wanted that to just, well, not be my problem. I didn't care what happened to it. it, I just felt it wasn't my calling. Jonah had three days and three nights to figure it out in the belly of the creature. I would say it took me quite a few years. And at some point, I feel that God led me through crossing some type of threshold that I would desire to love the whole church. And, and for the sake of the metaphor, I was spit back up to do what I was called to do, to serve this Nineveh. And it's, it's, it's why I want to talk about things in church like doubt and faith. It's why I want to talk about the complexity and the beauty and the power of Scripture. It's why I would love for people to attend things like the Justice Conference and reading circles and life communities and and just be part of the fabric of the church, is why we're always announcing just, you know, if you could just own this a little bit more, if you could participate a little bit more, if you can take steps a little bit more, we can really shape not just this church culture, but the, the culture at large, because I really believe in this thing called the church. What is your Nineveh? Now, I know no one wants to be a fool. Some of us would rather die than be regarded as such. Again, in Jonah's mind, he had a better reality in mind. He had dreams too. We all do, but God had something else for him. 
And that's our lesson for tonight. Where Jonah needs to really go is not Nineveh, but to be in a restored relationship with his God. This is a story about discovering your life after you've lost it. Now, the problem with the tale of James Bartley, do you remember James Bartley, this young man that was thrown over, overboard and swallowed up by the whale and maybe survived, maybe not survived, we don't know, is that even if it's true, it doesn't give us anything new. I mean, whether he really existed or not, it doesn't change our lives. The problem with Batman is that though it's entertaining and all that, although that voice is addictive and, and, and although we can find a few nuggets about life to talk about, it's not really life-changing. I mean, nobody watches these movies and dons on a cape, except for Halloween, and decides to be a, a, a vigilante crime fighter by night and a billionaire by day. And we all know that it's escapism. We all know that it's fantasy. And we know this because we don't know a single Batman. But we know a bunch of Jonas. We don't know any James Bartleys. But this room is filled with Jonas. The problem in the tale of Jonah is not whether or not the story is real. The problem is if our repentance is not real. That is the issue. Is our repentance real? Friends, you and I are Jonah. We have our Ninevehs. Will we surrender our hearts to God and fulfill the mission that he has called us to? Let's pray together.